if you were a pro wrestler, what would your name be? Um, the Anti-Amber. El Shamidor. The Big Spider. I wasn't even ready for my own question, wow. honestly. Honestly, I changed my name to Dead Rat so Frost can be scared of me. <laughs> That's not going to be a good PR move, Amber. The well, Dead Rat. The Dead Rat. <laughs> what was yours? The, El, the El Shamidor. El Shamidor. El Shamidor. Like the letter L because he takes so many L's. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, no. Got him. Got him. I should have thought of something else. Dang. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I went with the big spider. Um, I, I don't know. That's just... When it came to you me. Ask the question. But, but I feel like for a wrestler, I guess I was thinking of like, you know, like big grappling hands mm-hmm. and imagine me coming out with like 20 hands, 20 arms. <laughs> Why? Well, what? What's up with you and arms? Like the last podcast, <laughs> you had the arm coming out as a monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was different. That was, you that was 20 arms. No, that wasn't an arm reference. That was a stomach reference. If you remember correctly. No, but it was the arm coming out of the stomach. It was an attachment to the stomach. You could have had anything else, like a leg coming out of your stomach, but you said arms specifically yeah. coming out of your stomach. You, you had it was you an have an obsession thing. with arms. Limbs. Like extra limbs. Or wow. Something. Extra arms, actually. Honestly, Thank we're you. like learning more about you. Welcome everybody to another episode of Strange Flavors. This is brought to you by Alif Theory. My name is Faraz. My name is Shimmer. My name is Amber. I got my Ellen shirt on today. I got my Ellen underwear on today. It is an exciting day, people. Yes. It is a very exciting day. We have an awesome very guest exciting. coming up, and you'll see why I got the Ellen stuff on, okay? You know what's special that Frost, like, anecdoted, like, future anecdoted the future guest, like, early on into the intro? Yeah, because like, we that's never very, do that. Yeah, we never do that. So well, Frost, I'm very Frost excited. changing it. First of all, I'm obsessed with Ellen. So when I saw this person on Ellen, and I knew that they were in Baltimore... It was just like, oh my God, we need to have this person right. on the show. I cried. And okay, also, a lot of people ask me this if I've been on the Ellen show. The answer is yes. No, the answer is no. He just likes to wear that shirt. <laughs> I've always been obsessed with Ellen and my uh, a good friend of mine got me this shirt and, and the underwear. Cause, and I only wear it on special occasions like today. Mm-hmm. So that's why. Well, the shirt I wear sometimes, but um, the underwear is just like you know okay extremely exclusive okay wow so that's happening guys um if you're uh wanting to be on the podcast if you have anything cool to send us if you have any questions if you have any concerns if you want to share your stories with us um for us to comment on or get our opinion on uh you can email us strangeflavorspodcast at gmail.com you can also send us your music there uh, we'll take rappers and producers and um, apparently country singers, right? Since we agreed on that right. last time. Yeah. Um, and bands and anything. So send us your music and we'll play it between the, um, after the intros before the guest comes and uh, in the outro and we'll credit you and everything. Um, we're also on Twitter and Instagram where we do giveaways and have some cool exclusive content on there. Um, so keep, keep up to date with us on there. Um, you can find that in the description if you look up Strange Flavors. Uh, we got some shows coming up, people. It's going to be exciting. Uh, Shamir and I are performing um, in a few different places upcoming. So uh, look out, D.C., Chicago, College Park. Um, come and, through. And uh, if you're in the area, definitely come through, show some love. Uh, March 2nd is going to be George Washington University. Um, April 3rd is going to be the University of Illinois. Uh, what is it, Urbana Champaign? Urbana. What is it? Urbana. Urbana. 
Urbana. <laughs> Urbana. All right. I don't know how to pronounce Urbana. things. April 13th, University of Maryland, College, College Park. Okay. So uh, can you, you can talk about it? No, I can't. I have uh, no idea what I'm doing. Also, Champagne in the college's name? Whoa. Honestly? Good That's luck. a city. We're classy. <laughs> We're classy. Um, well. Yeah. So that's going to be real, real exciting, people. Um, did anything crazy happening to, to you guys this week? Nope. Mm. It's like, nah. <laughs> yeah. That was, wow. Wow. <laughs> we agreed on a certain segue and Shamir just ruined it. I just like broke the, I broke the fourth wall. So like, so we actually planned that we were going to say this. Shamir, just get yes, on with the story. I ha- Whoa, Amber's showing so a lot of heat to I'm sorry. To you me. just ruined the transition. I know, but I had to break the fourth wall for the listeners. Anyways, yes, I did have a crazy story <laughs> for us that I wanted to talk about. What was it? And, um... So, I was at the... Okay, so a month ago or, like, two months ago, I, like, lost my sunglasses, right? And these are, like, pretty good sunglasses. And then, like, I I was at the doctor's and my mom was with me. And I told my mom that, like, um, I, I lost... I lost my sunglasses, mom! She, she was like, oh, like, bring make sure you bring your sunglasses because we're going on a trip. And so I was like, okay, um, but I actually lost them. And then she was like, oh, no, like... I was like, I have another, like, pet, like not as good pair but like we talked for about sunglasses for like two or three minutes right and then today i got like i was scrolling through my instagram and i see ads for sunglasses and i didn't search up sunglasses at all on my phone on amazon or anything on anything i didn't even talk anyone else other than those two or three minutes that i do with my mom and i never get sunglasses ads ever because i never search up like sunglasses i got these sunglasses like three or four years ago and so this was like the weirdest craziest thing that like something so you're happening. telling me wherever you were where were you with your mom doctor's office okay so your doctor was listening <laughs> to your conversation <laughs> yeah, your sure. doctor also has a, an ad yeah. agency oh yeah with he, amazon with amazon or instagram heard whatever. you talking about the sunglasses and started forwarding ads to your page that's what you're telling me yeah i have a more re- likely one let me not i mean or the phone's listening but yeah, there the we phone go. is listening. Yeah, that's not app. likely at all. The doctor one is, is way more likely. Is, no, it's not. The your phone is I don't know if you're being real yeah. right now. Your yeah, I don't know if you're being real either. I don't know if he's being real. Your right phone now. is listening to your conversation. Yeah, I, uh, that's what I would say. I think that like your phone's listening to Were you. Did you have any apps open? You don't have. To, I mean, there has been controversy like earlier last year that like Facebook is always listening. Yeah. And Facebook owns Instagram. And so. even you said it last week for us, like our phones are listening to everything we say and do. Shout out my FBI agent. I love you. Oh, mad cute. Yeah, but What's like, up, Rick? even if you don't have the apps, like if you don't have Facebook open or you did have Facebook Siri's open. always listening to Literally, you. Literally. Like Siri's she's always waiting for you to, you to say, hey, Siri. Yeah. This so is why Alexa. I like Alexa better, honestly. Alexa's always listening to you. What do you mean? No, but Alexa's like, they and they could put okay, ads while you're Okay, we need to stop saying searching. Alexa before she talks back. No, but, but okay, she... I said she. She. She sh- that shall not be named. She shall that shall not be <laughs> named um, is better than the other one that shall not be named. Uh, because when you ask for jokes or if you ask for motivation or something, Siri only says one thing. And it doesn't feel as personal. And Alexa is like way more like, like Alexa knows me. You know what I mean? Have you ever asked her about Cardi B? Because she has a really good response. Really? What'd she say? <laughs> she just goes like, um, if she ever needs me to fill in for a day of her job, like I'd do it. Really? Oh, yeah. Dang. I'll show you guys afterwards. Said, the, th- the cool thing is she's, she always says different things. That's what I like. Mm. 
But anyways, that's a weird story. Um, you need to you need to sue your doctor right away. <laughs> it's not doctor. his doctor. It's his doctor. It's his if phone it happened with. in his office, the doctor's doing some. He had stuff. the phone with him in the doctor's office. Yeah. How do you know that when he checked you out, he didn't stick a little uh, microphone <laughs> up uh, your intestines there? <laughs> Wait, weren't you had an? Okay, continue, please. Let's bring on our guest. Okay. Um, this is super exciting. So uh, our our stranger on the show today is Wyatt Oroke, or you might know him as Mr. O if Ooh, you've seen Mr. O. Ellen recently. And um, he's, a, he's a middle school teacher impacting so many lives of uh, kids simply through love and care. In um, Baltimore. And he's straight out of Baltimore. Um, well, well, from well, California. Well, come from California, but he's, uh, you know, living, he's doing this out of Baltimore. Yeah. You'll um, hear him talk about it. And he's here to tell us about his journey and thought process behind uh, what he does. Um, so, yeah, it is our absolute honor to introduce Mr. O. If life was a thing that only could buy, the rich would live and the poor would die. A long time to pull my people out of fire into the sky, but now is the time to realize they might tell me your life. If life was a thing that only could buy, the rich would live and the poor would die. A long time to pull my people out of fire into the sky, but now is the time to you acknowledge that I have the Ellen stuff on. I did. Thank I, you I respected that you had the Ellen stuff on. <laughs> Do you actually watch Ellen? Like before you went on and everything? Yes, I did. Actually, okay. I like watched it growing up and like yeah. saw her dance a lot. And I'm yeah. Ellen and I have similar dance moves. Really? Like, yeah, awkward white you do people the table dancing. Thing, you go over the table. Of course, all of that <laughs> stuff is actually true. Um, and so. I got to know her through her dancing. And my mother loves Ellen, so it was like a must watch. Did you ever think that you were going to appear on this show? N- no, not like even the faintest idea that right. I would ever be on it. No, Didn't really you not. like last minute find out that you were on the show? Yeah, I did. It was like 15 minutes before I walked onto the set. They're like, ha, you're going to be on the show. And I was like, what? Was that like a set surprise they had for you? Or was that like just last minute work? It was, it was a set surprise. Like they had okay. kind of established that that was going to be the process they went through. But I just had no, not the faintest idea. So you're, you're just like behind the scenes, like watching. Mm-hmm. And they brought you out for yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Wow. That's so cool. So what has what has life like been since you've been on the show? So the first day after, well, it was first weird because like they filmed it a day early and then I like came back to Baltimore. So I like got here and none of my kids knew I had been on it. Cause okay. I like didn't teach that day. I like left for a day and they're like, where were you yesterday? I was like across the country. Um, <laughs> and so that was kind of weird. And then that Saturday I went to get a bagel at Towson Hot Bagel and this random person <laughs> from Towson University is like, can I take a picture with you? Oh, no. And I was like, okay, wow. I, I teach kids though. You know that, right? Like that's why I was on the show. And they're like, okay, cool. I still want to take a picture. So that's been my life since then. A lot of like Target selfies. Okay. A lot wow. of Towson Hot do Bagel selfies. Do you like selfies. that or what is that? How do you react to it it's weird i don't i don't really like it i don't think i could ever be like a famous person that's just too much saying like on the airplane i was coming back from miami and the uh, stewardess was like you were on ellen weren't you and i was like um yes i was he's like you want me to announce it like on the airplane I was like, if you could not that'd be cool also like just give me another water that'd be really awesome give me another water. Um, Extra water. and so you know i don't like the fame, the fame. The, it's and there's the not fame. much fame but it's like yeah no, it's, it's just it's a little weird for yes. like randos to be like hey can i reach out to you on facebook so did you get like like how did that even happen like did did somebody send in your story <clears throat> yeah so it's actually the, i don't know why i was on it and like my students weren't like i really 
I mean, cool, thank you, appreciate it. But the kids did a fundraiser at my school for Hurricane Harvey victims. And yes, I was like the staff person who like helped facilitate it. Um, and then city councilman Zeke Cohen from Baltimore City, he like came out and like congratulated the kids on what they did and the news was there. And then Erica Green, who's like a New York Times reporter, like tweeted it out. And that tweet got like over 100,000 likes and retweets. Wow. And then like the next day it's like, hey, this is Ellen. And I was like, ha cool. So for those people that don't know, you know, who are you and what do you, you mentioned you're a teacher, but what do you teach? Like, yeah, I, um, I teach at City Springs Elementary Middle School in East Baltimore. I teach 7th and 8th grade humanities. Before City Springs, I worked at National Academy Foundation Middle School, also in East Baltimore, right by Hopkins Hospital. And I taught uh, 7th and 8th grade English and then also like 7th grade debate. Now, you're not originally from Baltimore, is that right? No, I, I'm from uh, Ventura, California for okay. most of my life. How did you get over here? Uh, there's a program called Teach for America, which like sends young out-of-college folks all around the country to teach. And I knew I wanted to be a teacher, and so it was like a cool program for me to enter into. And then I got placed in Baltimore, and that's where I wanted to go. And five years later, I'm still here. That's awesome. Um, what was your upbringing like? What were you like as a child? <laughs> What was I like as a child? Or was, no, I was, um, <laughs> um, what would my mom say or what would I say? I think that's kind of where the debate comes in. My mom would say, you know, I was crazy, but I wasn't really crazy. I had, I grew up in, so I was born in Orange County, mm-hmm. California, Rancho Santa Margarita, and then did like pre-K there, moved to Kansas City, Kansas, and did like elementary in Kansas City. Um, then went to three different elementary schools when I was in Kansas City because like my dad's job and just changing houses and stuff. Moved back to California, Ventura, and did like fifth grade there and then um, up through college. We, you know, I'm a middle class white family, had all the privilege that comes along with that. And then didn't really start to open up my eyes till high school. I went to a school that's about 50% international students and then 50% uh, local students, which is just a cool different dynamic for me to exist in and kind of open up my eyes to the bigger world around me, which I think shaped kind of um, my life trajectory. Yeah. So then is that where you kind of got the idea for, you know, Teach for America and everything? And that's where I think I got the idea for, I mean, I know I wanted to be a teacher in third grade. I, so I'm not... I teach English, but I'm not really good at reading or spelling, which is like, oh, <laughs> ironic. Um, yeah, I, so I've never really been a strong reader or a strong writer. My grammar is trash, um, and I can't spell at all. And so actually in fourth grade, um, I had a teacher whose name will not be said, um, who was really mean like towards me because I couldn't spell, and she made fun of me a lot for it. And my mom eventually like got wind of how disrespectful she was and like transferred me out. But then I had to do third grade again. Um, oh, man. Dang. And so, yeah, went to another school, did third grade, and, like, that teacher, she was amazing. Miss Kirtley was, like, the bomb. She was, like, gave me a big hug day one, and she's, like, welcome to my classroom. I was, like, oh, this is awesome. And I knew... Hopefully that teacher watches Ellen. <laughs> right. Hey, Miss Kirtley, hey. hey. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think she made me understand how big of an impact teachers had on, like, how you feel about yourself as a person. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, I want to do that for kids. So, like, third grade, I knew I wanted to do it. Um, and then I started kind of shaping how I wanted to do that when I got into high school and was like, okay, I want to work with older kids. At first I thought high school and then it eventually was middle school. Um, and I definitely wanted to go somewhere where there was a significant need for teachers. Yeah. Um, now you teach mostly African-American students, right? Um, they don't look like you, um, and they don't have the same background as you. How do you build a trust with them? 
Um, I think it's being open and authentic with them. I am very cognizant of like how my white identity impacts me on a daily basis and like the privilege I have when I walk into that classroom. And I'm very open with them about that and kind of put your privilege out there and like know it for what it is. But I'm, I'm authentic with my kids. Like they know they can trust me because I work to build that trust. I work to build that sense of community. Um, on weekends, you can see me out at church with them, out at football games with them, um, playing basketball on the courts outside. And it's like little things like that, I think, have helped build a trust, not just with my students, but with the community at large. Because, again, I'm cognizant that I'm a white man entering a community where it's 99% African-American. And so it's important that they see me as someone who's there to work with them and not belittle them, which far too often happens, and also not represent what so many white people in their community represent, which are police officers, sometimes a social worker who's decent, like housing authority, like all negative experiences with white individuals. And so being cognizant of that when I enter the community and being incredibly respectful of, of the great love that they always show me is, I think, really important for me. What are like the most common struggles that a lot of uh, your students may face that sort of gets in the way of their studies? God, there's a lot. Um, I think there's such a lack of stability um, in Baltimore City at large, just in terms of like housing stability, food stability, resource stability. Um, so many of our students, you know, jump around from different houses, be it to try and put themselves in a better situation, a parent's job changes, the Section 8 um, housing voucher changes. And so that lack of stability means it's really hard to build uh, a resource base around you. It's really hard to build a group of individuals there who are there to support you. And so a lot of them just, I feel like they always have to restart. Like I get so many new kids in my classroom during the school year who have never been in our school before, who don't know me. And it's like, they really have to start over. They have to build a new community in their actual community they live in, build a new school community. And that's just hard for, I think, anybody. I know when I moved to Baltimore, you know, it took so many years for me to build a, just friends, like just to get decent friends in my life. Um, and I think that has a big impact on them just in how they interact daily, you know, always trying to put on a face um, or be something that they want to be. I think mm. it's really hard for them. You even had, uh, you mentioned one uh, student that gave labor, uh, that went into labor yeah. in your classroom. Yes. What was that like? Um, she like raised her hand and she's like, can I go to the nurse? And I was like, no, not right now. Oh. And then she's like, but my baby's coming. And I was like, oh, then right now. Um, <laughs> oh my God. yeah, so that was, I mean, that was weird. She did go into labor in my classroom, love her to death. Um, and this, this is a child that was like held behind a few years, I guess. She was, um, cause in middle school, I'm assuming she, what she was held, like the child was probably of a high school age. She was. So actually my first year, uh, one of the group of students that I taught my first year was under or overage undercredited students, mm. which was students who need kind of like a, a second chance to get mm. their education, who maybe the education system had failed them for a variety of reasons. And this was like a great program um, when I was working at NAF that they set up to kind of accelerate the learning for these students. And I actually didn't know I was teaching that group of kids till like the day school started. And my principal's like, so here's your schedule. I was like, what is this class at the end of the day? She's like, oh, that's our overage group. I was like, okay, cool. Let me plan a lesson there. Oh. Um, and so they all had, I love, that's probably one of my, I love all my classes. That was definitely probably my favorite group of students I've ever worked with. Just because they had so many amazing stories and like their relentlessness to get their education still despite so many barriers like being put in front of them um, and so many obstacles they had to face a lot of them you know, spent time in the juvenile justice system for very incredibly unjust reasons. A lot of them experienced teen pregnancy, which kind of changes their trajectory or 
like I said, housing instability, things like that, which meant they had to be out of school for extended months at a time. And so that was one of the students within that classroom was the one who went to labor. And then after she gave birth to the baby, she like brought it back a couple weeks later to the school and like I got to hold it and Aww. I got to teach with the baby in my hands. It was really, Aww. it was an amazing experience. Now, is there a line that you draw between, you know, how personal you get with, you know, in your students' lives? Uh, n- no, I really don't. So like, there are many teachers who are brilliant, amazing teachers who draw lines and they are successful with it. I never have been able to do that. I think I don't really see teaching as a job as much as a lifestyle choice that I've decided to make. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> and so I am as comfortable and open with them as they are with me. And I think that's kind of where my line is. If they don't really want to share too much with me, then I'm not going to push, you know, here's my whole life story. Right. Um, but they've seen pictures of mom and dad, my brothers they know. Um, FaceTime with some of my friends before. Um, I don't live very far away from where I teach. It's like a five-minute drive. And so most of them know, like, where I live. Some came up for Halloween and were like, ah, trick or treat. And I was like, oh, just got out of school. Um, And so I I don't. But normally when you're working with middle schoolers, what you have to do is first, like, set that up with the parent. Like, I need the parents to be on the same page with me. Like, I'm going to be very open, you know, with And normally I don't have any pushback from any parents because... I'm just as open with my parents as I am with my students. And so that helps build a sense of trust too. Well, I know that you also like put in, you know, a lot of your own time, effort, energy, money into, you know, to, to care for your students. So does it ever get like overbearing or do you feel pressure in any way when there's a lot of, you know, things going on? I do. I, I do. Actually, yeah, a lot. I think, I mean, monetarily, it, it is, it can be a burden. Teachers don't make that much money. I probably put in this year like halfway through the school year eight thousand dollars towards just like school resources or things wow. for students um <clears throat> which is like an eco- or an economic decision i choose to make and i don't mind making but sometimes mm-hmm. that's a struggle but yeah there's a lot of times where um kids will ask me for something or the parent or person might ask me for something and at that moment i can't provide it and i i feel awful i mean and that's from everything from like new pair of shoes to like hey can you help make sure the lights stay on and it's like i i I do the best i can um and i hope it's good enough i you know i know it not always is but you know i I definitely try my best um being as a a teacher um what are some things you would want to change about the education system that you'd like to see literally everything (laughs) (laughs) There, there are so many things that we just get wrong and i think when when schools start to decide like that their responsibility, especially in under-resourced communities like Baltimore, like to not just take the child into account, but like the entire family into account, I think we'll get on the right track. Like a school's responsibility in my mind should be not just to provide an education to kids, but they need to provide medical assistance to children and adults. They need to provide um, psychological care for kids and adults. They need to provide groceries, dietary, you know, assistance, physical assistance, whatever it is, I think the school should be the hub for that. And in a community like Baltimore, if we enter that trajectory, which is more like a community campus where you have your rec centers, your adult learning centers, your grocery stores, all in a single hub, um, I think would completely change the lives of so many people who have been negatively impacted uh, by so many policies in our city and in our nation. Do you do you look at um to progress or anything in um you know where your your job is to yeah. be able to make decisions like this? Yeah, I want to be a principal. That's like um I didn't know I wanted to be a principal until I started being a teacher, mm-hmm. and I saw like how many decisions are made at the top level, and how oftentimes those decisions don't take into account the bottom levels. Um, 
I think of it kind of like we can talk about trickle down economics, but it's trickle down education policy is like the exact same issue. It's like you basically have a leader at the top who's making these decisions, who passes it down to the people below them and is like implement these decisions, who passes it down to principals and is like figure out how to implement these, who passes it down to students or teachers and is like, okay, figure out how to teach this way. Then somehow magically the kids are supposed to get all these great lessons and so is the community. It does not work and we know it doesn't work. Do you ever feel like you get a lesson plan or something and you just feel like maybe you don't think the kids will be able to do it or you know the way that they want you to teach it isn't the best way to get to a student so you just scrap it and go how you want to yeah so um i don't follow any mandated curriculum i create all of my own curriculum um and that was when i was working at national academy foundation middle school because it's a, a traditional public school we are mandated to follow the city curriculum and for me and my students that didn't make sense for us and so i didn't follow that and i got my principal was very open with it, and she knew that I had the best interests of kids in mind, but she also knew, like, the district is mandating this stuff. And so we were always at kind of this weird, like, do what you want, but, like, <laughs> still try. You know, it's just really weird. Um, and so actually one of the reasons I made them move to City Springs, City Springs is a, a community charter school, mm. which has freedom over curriculum choices. And they have allowed me to explore curriculum in ways that I wouldn't normally get at a traditional public school. So I select all the books that my kids should read. Um, I think they should read. I select every lesson plan is like literally made on my computer at home. So does working for a charter school make it easier to get resources because they are getting funding through the government too. And then on top of that, they can also buy things, right? Yeah. Yeah. So in Baltimore city, charter schools kind of are treated a little bit differently. So for instance, in DC public schools, there's like DC public schools and then there's DC charter schools and they separate very much separate entities. In Baltimore City, all charter schools are under the Baltimore City public school umbrella. And so the decisions that are made at the city level also impact us in a charter school less so than they would in different cities. And so what I think where the charter school has allowed me growth is we have an amazing charter operator called Baltimore Curriculum Project that like leverages a lot of good resources and a lot of good supports for us and that's always been really positive in ways that a traditional public school wouldn't and that's a lot of it is a funding issue like we have so many human bodies in my school building it's amazing to see like working where I worked before that didn't have as much you know funding resources we couldn't bring in all these additional people because we didn't have any funding for it like there's nowhere to bring that money in from and so you had a small handful of people doing the work of hundreds and then at my school now because of funding it's like we can have teacher assistants in classrooms which we wouldn't normally have before or restorative practice people in classrooms that we wouldn't normally have before so it definitely changes changes the game for the supports you can give a kid um with the kids that you teach, uh, is it is it hard to see them move on, especially past middle school? And do you like check up on them and see, you know, how they're doing and everything? Yeah, that, being an eighth grade teacher is really weird because like you get them for a solid year and then it's like, okay, bye. <laughs> and then in Baltimore City, because they have high school choice, they go to high schools all across the city. It's not like you know, oh, they just gonna go all to this school. Um, so I have kids in probably pretty much every high school in the city, and it is hard. I. I do a pretty good job um, checking in on them. You know, we follow each other on like Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat, whatever that is. Um, and I get probably at least a kid, if not five to ten, visit every day, and they're like just oh, checking awesome. in with me. So that's awesome. What's that's like the cool. best uh, thing that you've seen come out of uh, you know a student that you've taught? Um, actually, my favorite moment happened 
uh, recently, just like a month or so ago, when one of my students asked me to help them with their college essays. And that's like my wow. first, it's so like I'm at the point where my eighth graders are now ready to go to college, like they're seniors in <laughs> high school, awesome. which is really cool. And one of them like asked me to work with her college essay. And I, that was the coolest moment for me. It was like really surreal thinking about like how she was in eighth grade. I'm like, oh, now you're going to go to Morgan State. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, but to see like her growth and her maturity as a person and like, it's, it's the coolest feeling in the world. So what's your secret? How do you keep your kids motivated? I don't know if there's a secret. Like, I, <laughs> I, like they're really, I think people want there to be a secret and there's not. It's like, I love my kids and they know I love them and that love. keeps them motivated. Like, literally, <laughs> I know that sounds silly, is. but it doesn't happen in as many classrooms as you think it should happen in. Like, a lot of people get into teaching to teach kids and they don't really care who's sitting in front of them like they love the art of teaching and there's something to you know for that i i don't love the art of teaching as much as i love kids and i think that Mm. makes a significant difference um and i will say i have so much room to grow as a teacher like some days are rough awful days that i like am embarrassed by and some days are brilliant and amazing so like that's piece one then piece two it i think it goes back to that curriculum piece like i have to find things that they engage with and they're interested in and like they care about i use Tons of local authors. Like I try and rely heavily on local authors, especially at the start of the year, to get them invested in people in their own community. And that always helps. Um, I just have been doing a Black Empowerment Speaker Series where we brought in about eight to ten people every Friday for them over the past month who like can engage with them. Where all the local community members, members all look like them, which is a big thing because um, I'm very cognizant that there's only so much I can say as a white man that like will not resonate with them because I don't look like them and don't have their experience. And so being able to bring in people who do look like them, I think changes changes their lives definitely for the better. So I think leveraging things that they connect with has been big to keeping them engaged in my class. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I was going to say this kind of goes, and I guess you answered this already, but like uh, one of the favorite, one of my favorite things that you said uh, on, on the show was if you fill your classroom with love today, you will fill the world with love tomorrow. Um, and, and then I was going to ask, you know, like we all know that teachers are not given the proper credit or compensation that they deserve. But like, you know, why why you continue to do this and what you're getting out of it? First, let me say, I don't remember saying that quote like in real time. And it was like, <laughs> I like uh, I walked off the set and I walked backstage and someone came up to me. and She's like, oh, my God, I loved your quote. We should put that on a poster. And I had that's going to be in yearbooks. For I years. literally so, had no idea what she was talking about. I was like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm, yeah, I'm sure it was great. Um, no, like, it was like, that was, that was the crazy. I blacked out though. So I don't know yeah. how that happened. Um, <laughs> just natural. The one that had the biggest <laughs> reaction well, like, from the crowd too. It did. They like started clapping. Yeah. Like, oh, this is cool. Um, <laughs> And so that's just like piece one. That's just a random point. But I think um, it goes back to just loving what you do. Yeah. Like if you don't love it, don't do it. I think that's my mother. Um, I love my mom a lot. And she always, she asked me like every day, what's your passion? What are you passionate about, Wyatt? Mm. And I didn't know how to answer that question like my entire life. Um, as most, I think, you know, five-year-olds don't know how to answer what are you passionate about. But my mom asked anyway. And I think when I entered a classroom, I like found what I was passionate about. And that had a huge impact. Um, a story I do want to share, though, because I think this is important, is I did quit my first year. Um, of teaching? Yeah, wow. literally quit um, in, like, October. Um, and so I just, you know, I, I entered the classroom, you know, and I just didn't feel like I was having an impact. I really, my classroom wow. wasn't what I wanted it to look like or sound like or feel like. My kids weren't learning. And I just had a really negative experience one day at the school. <clears throat> 
that I won't really get into because I think it, you know, kind of paints paints our kids and families in a bad light, but it, it just was really negative all the way around. And I remember leaving that day. Um, I did have to go to the hospital that day, like during the school day because of the incident that happened. And I came back and it was another big incident that was happening and like police had to be involved. And I was just like, this is not right this space for me anymore. And I went up to my principal and assistant. So I was like, okay, I'm done. Thank you so much like for having me, but I, I'm quitting. And they told me, they're like, okay, we're going to give you a week. And I really want you to reflect during that week. And like, if you're still feeling that way after a week, then don't do it. And I was like, okay. And I remember leaving that meeting and a student who gave me the most headaches, but I love her to death, Kayana, she ran up to me and she like gave me the biggest hug in the world. She's like, I missed you the rest of the day after you had to leave. And that had, I don't think she knows this, but that like changed the trajectory. Like literally from that moment, seconds after I had just said I quit, I was like, what, why am I quitting again? Um, And so I did take the week to like get myself together and get in the right headspace. And then I came back and it wasn't like I came back perfectly. Uh, My dad explained it well. He's like, he said, you're teaching with one foot out the door and one foot in the door. And he says, you're not doing your kids or yourself a, a service with that. And that resonated with me. And there were like a whole bunch of other moments that I think drove me back into the classroom. And now I, I couldn't ever imagine leaving wow. again. So yeah. the dad, the quotes come from your dad then? Because he's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. My dad, he's, he's a quiet guy. But I've always like respected just how like brilliant he is in his silence. And my mom That's and dad, awesome. they never went to college or anything like that. Wow. Um, that wasn't their path. And so my, my older brother was, you know, first generation college student, which is, I think different because, you know, our family isn't one that would look like, you know, first generation college students, but it did have, I think it's had a big impact on us being kind of the first ones in our, in our family, even extended family to really find success in education, which is cool. So for Teach for America, it brought you to Baltimore. Did you have any other experiences with Baltimore before that point or was that really your first experience? Uh, So in eighth grade, I came, so I don't know if you, I don't know where you guys are from, but in California, the big thing when you're in eighth grade is like a trip to D.C. That's like what you do. Really? That's okay. All eighth grade is like, oh, go I to think D.C. We all went to D.C. all the time. <laughs> yeah, trips. All, all, the all the time. So spring break, eighth grade year, when Uh-oh. you're in California, That's crazy. you go to D.C. And like, is if that you exciting? Don't, or? It, it's the, literally, I thought about it since I think I was in like second grade. Um, oh, my God. It's like the trip to go oh, on. Wow. And my only experience, I know I came here. We came to Baltimore. I think we stayed at a hotel downtown. I don't really remember anything, but so no, I didn't have any experience with it. I know I hyped that up like I had a. No, <laughs> no I was in. Well, DC. just coming from California, that's yeah. that's yeah. all of yeah. us on the East Coast are right. like, oh, California, <laughs> like yeah. this heavenly place, and no. you're like DC. <laughs> it was and it was weird when I came here. Um, I graduated, like, got my undergrad degree, and then the next day I drove to LAX and flew out to Baltimore. I like packed up two wow. be- two suitcases and it's like, okay, you're gonna live in Baltimore for the rest of your life now. And I thought, okay, I'm ready. Um, and so that was kind of, that was a weird experience to just like pack up and move. So what were your that. expectations before? Let's say I was uneducated and had like negative mindsets. Mm-hmm. I definitely like am cognizant that I came in thinking like, yeah, I'm going to change the whole city. I'm going to do this great work. And that's like a really bad white savior like complex. And I don't think I had it fully, but like I had it enough to where I think it impacted me right away. And very quickly I saw like amazing work that people were doing in the city. And I was like, okay, humble yourself, sit down and watch and learn. Um, And that was like a big change for for the work I do and understanding like you're not working for a community, you're working with a community. That's like an incredibly important difference that so many people who 
do any program, but especially programs like Teach for America, they don't always have that mindset. Like a lot of them, it's like, oh, I'm working for you, I'm working for you. It's like, no, you're not. You're working with them. Like there's so much work that gets done on the daily basis in this community that's amazing. Um, and you need to like respect that work that's already been done. Um, I asked you how you keep your students motivated. So now I want to yes. know, how do you keep yourself motivated through all this? I think, so I like reading. I love reading. Um, and like I try and keep myself like always engaged in a book. Um, but I do, people always talk like, oh, you're going to burn out. You're going to burn out. But I don't feel that way. I know I'm only five years in. I get engaged in a lot of different things at my school. Like, yes, I teach. I also coach the boys basketball team. And I've been coaching like every year since I've been in Baltimore City. I do work with students on photography. I do work with students um, in just a whole bunch of different realms. And I think keeping myself involved in so many different mm -hmm. things allows me to stay engaged all the time. Um, it's always just like, you have to have a different mindset for the different things you do. And I think that really helps me stay motivated and like stay interested and invested. Are there um, like other teachers that you have in like your circle that kind of teach similar route as you and maybe like you guys inspire each other of like teaching styles? Yeah, I think there's, there's a, there's a lot of really good teachers in Baltimore City. Like there really are. And um, that I've just had the pleasure to work with. There's one teacher in particular. She doesn't work in Baltimore City. She works in D.C. Um, her name's Miss Austin. And she is brilliant. Like she's a dean of students at an all-girls middle school. And we exchange lesson plans like all the time. We talk like at least once a week about like the work we're doing in our classrooms. And seeing how she gets her students invested and engaged in like mental health issues or like understanding teen suicide is like just so inspiring to me. I'm like, okay, I gotta be a better teacher now. Um, so yeah, definitely seeing those examples of really good teachers. And my roommate, I, I've been living with the same guy for five years, uh, Matt Cobb. And he is- Shout out Matt Cobb. Like the biggest <laughs> yeah. shout out. Like he is, first off, he helped me get the job that I have at City Springs. So like shout out for that. Um, Cause he works in the same charter network. But he is, probably one of the best teachers if not the best teacher i've ever seen and like i've seen videos of him and i see him interact with his kids all the time i see the work he puts in and he's a science teacher and that's an incredibly hard subject that they give like no resources for mm -hmm. and that man can can teach like nobody's business <laughs> and so i think like being in a house with him i'm always like very humbled and try and work extra hard so like he doesn't show me up too much but he he succeeds in showing me up pretty much every day so Does he's he, awesome is he also a middle school teacher he does, yeah he teaches eighth grade so are you guys like in the house like working on lesson plans together <laughs> yes every night that's literally that's what awesome. we do we're like grading together working on lesson plans now granted we teach um different students different populations of students he works at a school in uh, the patterson park neighborhood mm -hmm. and does really great work there um but yeah we put in those long hours that will be like 1 a.m., 2 a.m., and like, you got your lesson plan yet? And I'm like, oh, not yet. Um, so yeah, late nights together, but it's been good. And we know in, especially a city like Baltimore, there's, you know, the um, under-resourced neighborhoods and uh, the segregating housing and everything. Uh, I don't know if you are that much involved in like the political level or anything, but is there anything that we can do to combat that? So I do actually, um, I like to be involved in the political stuff because I think it impacts education so much. Right. Um, and so staying very active with the city council. I, I, oh God, there's so many things. So there are issues with funding mechanisms in our city. I'm not going to try and get too political, but basically <laughs> you have a city that's designed for about a million people to 1.2 million people that currently has 600,000 people living in it. And the majority of those people uh, don't pay taxes, don't pay housing taxes because a lot of them live in subsidized housing or are renters. Um, so you basically, you're not getting taxing from a lot of families here and you're not getting tax from 
a lot of renters here. And so what that does is you have a city that has no money trying to build itself up in an infrastructure designed for twice as many people who live here. And it just doesn't make logical sense so many of the decisions they make. I think if Baltimore City would stop pretending like we're a tourist attraction and start actually investing in the communities that already exist here, you would see significant changes. Like the, where they choose to develop is so strategic to invest in white young professionals and or invest in a tourist industry that will bring in white people. Like that's literally, hate to call you out Baltimore City, but like have to call you out because where I work right now, it's up for what's called a neighborhood choice grant, which would basically demolish all the houses my kids live in. They would all be torn down. Our school would be torn down. What happens to them? They would, so what do they say happens to them? You know, it's like, <laughs> so they are going to rebuild housing there and it will be one third subsidized housing and two thirds, you know, non-subsidized. And that sounds great because they're like, oh, it'll be a one-to-one. So every person who lives there now will be able to live in the new community. But when you really think about that, what that means is you will have one third, let's say predominantly African-American, and you'll have two thirds of a white population. Oftentimes those people don't vote for the same policies. Policies impact them differently. They don't vote for the same city council. So you have shifted political control in a community from a predominantly African-American group to a predominantly white American group. And that is problematic in so many ways. Um, my kids are very involved in like gentrification, understanding what that means. And we do a lot of lessons around it. And so they probably can speak on this better than I can, but like Ripping apart communities with a complete disregard for what existed there is problematic to me. Um, driving by blocks of like subsidized housing or abandoned houses and developers thinking like nothing's here, we need to rebuild this because it's a trash. Like that's problematic just in and of itself to not realize how many strong communities and tight-knit families live there. Yes, they want to live in better housing that's better kept up, which is the job of Baltimore City, but that doesn't mean they want their entire community demolished, destroyed, and a Whole Foods put in. Like, that's probably not right. what's best for them at, all the time. That's so amazing that they're learning that at a middle school level. Yeah, I don't yeah. think I even I was know anything conscious of that at, until college. Like, that's <laughs> right. crazy. But that's so good that yeah. they know, you know, what type of lifestyle that they're having to deal with and affects them. And I think it does. It helps, um, you know, it... it I think in my classroom it helps you know them feel feel alive and invested but more importantly it just helps set them up better for the world like we did a lot of lessons on overt and covert racism and understand how that like impacts them on a daily basis we've done a lot of work around um prison reform and what that could and should look like because a lot of them have incarcerated family members and like why can't my dad get a job when he comes out of jail like they they don't have those mm -hmm. that knowledge yet but they they need it um they need it in order to not just survive in our city, but to thrive and kind of take over the city in the way that they, they deserve to. It's their city. I, I think the most important question that I was wondering the whole time is like, what can people do to either physically or financially help you or the, your kids, obviously, um, you know, and, and the system that's around you guys? I think there's a lot of different layers to it. I've, I've been very fortunate since, since being on Ellen. So many people have like reached out and sent books to the school. Um, which oh, is really, awesome. it's interesting to see what people think Baltimore middle schoolers read, very strange books that I've gotten, <laughs> but no, they're all like amazing, like gestures. And so that's, if you have resources to give, give resources like that. Well, for so, example, with the books, like what are they sending and what should they be sending? So it's like, I, I'm not going to go into some of the things I've gotten because it's just a little weird. Um, 
but also also just other random fact people have like reached out to me in like different ways and like have tried to get me involved in weird things one person's like you need to go get checked out because i think you have this weird medical condition and he's like yeah, i'm trying to save your what? life though um this other person was <laughs> like hey for a specific reason and yeah literally saw me on the show and is like i think you have a growth on your neck you need to get that checked out <laughs> oh my like, god oh, yeah. What? yeah so that was weird um, and then there's like another person who was like i think i can fix the dental hygiene of you and i was like oh what? i didn't oh realize that was god. an issue so people are weird but no Th- thinking about people who do want to give back you know that i think their hearts are in the right place so right? yeah no no most definitely it's just like i don't know if i could ever approach someone straight off ellen and be like you know hey like you have something and like happen. that's that's the most that's important thing they're, they're they're probably trying trying to get out of everything that you <laughs> that presented, was their takeaway that was their <laughs> gonna, you, know, you know what they're gonna do is like at their dentist office put mr o on the yeah. wall <laughs> we clean mr o's right. teeth, clean his teeth. <laughs> um no so i think that is I think there's one is like, can they volunteer in schools? We always need extra human beings like inside school building. So if you're someone who's capable of working with young people in a sensible, loving way, giving time or money to cleaning, painting, restocking things, working with kids one-on-one, like all of those things go a long way. If you have financial like capabilities, it's always like, yes, please donate, donate to our charter operator, Baltimore curriculum projects, like donate to city schools, um, reach out to business partners in the area to help connect them. Donate books, donate school supplies, donate book bags. You know, I, we, again, I've been very fortunate at how many people have like reached out and wanted to donate to me, but at the same time, I'm like, that's awesome and great, but we have, you know, 186 other schools in the city, or what, 181, um, who need just as many resources as my school does. And so understanding that there is a bigger picture of like needing to give back to our city in a substantial way. And, I think just on an easier level, stop saying such bad things about our kids. Like that's kind of, that's my biggest thing. If you are a part of like the neighborhood, I don't know, there's a lot of like neighborhood Facebook groups and things like that. And the way that they talk about my children is terrifying and horrifying and problematic. The way the news talks about our kids is so, you know, I had this girl who did a poem the other day and she just kind of wrote it on her own about Black Empowerment Month. And one of her pieces was about how the media doesn't give her any airtime because she's not worth the views, but you know, have someone go out and do something violent and suddenly CNN's showing up, Fox News is showing up. And that is so problematic yeah. just in yeah. and of itself. For our kids to really have a fair shot at the world, they, they need positive images around them. And then you can be seen for how brilliant they are and not just degraded every time a little thing happens. Is there any resources or links that um, you know, we can put in our description that you want uh, to put out there? Whether it be like the site of your school or yeah, yeah, I mean, people can always send stuff to our school. Okay, you know, City Springs Elementary Middle School. That's where we've gotten most of our things. Like they'll just send boxes of books or envelopes with things in them, Um, and that has been brilliant and amazing. I love that stuff so much. Um, And then our charter operator is Baltimore Curriculum Project, and they always do like fundraising for like getting us buses to college tours or things like that. So they've been an amazing help also. Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely link that in the description. So anybody listening, please go check that out. Um, do you have any sort of final thoughts um, that you want to put out there? There's actually, I'll share a story that I like to share. Um, so my grandmother, I love my grandmother too. And um, Is there anybody that you don't love? <laughs> That's yeah, a good yeah. question. <laughs> there are a couple of people. Uh, let's not get too political. Okay, no. Uh, so my grandma and grandfather lived right where I went to college. And so I got to see them every Sunday. And we called it Sunday with the Persleys. And I got to like go help them out around the house and just like build a great relationship with them. And my grandma is loving and caring. She doesn't 
say a whole lot or text a whole lot or things like that. Like she's not big on that. And I remember uh, when I graduated undergrad, she got me this uh, graduation card. And it hadn't come, and she asked me like a hundred times, she's like, did you get the card yet? Did you get the card yet? Did you get the card yet? And I remember being so baffled as to why she would like ask that so many times because she normally doesn't write in cards. So I was like, oh, she's going to write something. And I finally got the card in the mail, and I like, you know, text her. I was like, thanks for the card before I opened it. Um, and I remember opening it up, and like on the inside, it just said like, love grandma and grandpa. And I was a little disappointed. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but on the front of the card... Um, there's a quote that I, you know, stuck with me, and it's, um, some people look for a beautiful place, others make a place beautiful. And I think my work in, <laughs> in Baltimore connects so much to that. And there's so many people, be it politicians or teachers or students or families who are, like, looking for that beautiful place constantly and aren't willing to, like, sit down, roll up their sleeves and put in the work, like, make a place beautiful and make that happen. Um, and I think so many reasons why... I would never feel comfortable leaving Baltimore or not working with our amazing kids is because I know that sense of stability is what's going to allow our city to grow. And like working within your means to make a place beautiful is a lot more, but you know, has a bigger impact, I think in the long run than always searching for like, Oh, that right job or that right place to work or that right school to go to. Um, there's something to be said about those who actually want to put in the work to make those places great. That's awesome. Mr. O, bless you. You're, <laughs> you're you an so amazing human being. Thank you, thank you. Thank you had um, us in all this whole time. <laughs> seriously. Appreciate I was about to cry at one point. Um, <laughs> and there is one last question that we ask our guests at the end of every show. Mm-hmm. Um, and Amber will go ahead and ask that. If you could describe yourself as any flavor, what would it be and why? Okay, so thought long and hard about this question. Did you really? I like wow. literally did. Oh, that but means a, keep in that mind means so much. that when I was flying from Miami to Baltimore this morning, this was what was on my mind the entire time. Oh, no way. Yeah. And I was like, how can I encapsulate myself in a flavor? And I decided it's um, birthday cake. Okay. And the reason it's birthday cake, <laughs> bear with me for a second, <laughs> is because on the surface, it looks plain and white and vanilla. Mm-hmm. But when you take a bite, it has filled with just just so many different flavors and so many oh, things yeah. make it distinct <laughs> and different from plain born white vanilla. And I would like to think that yes, I am a white cis male mm-hmm. and I am cognizant of the privilege that gives me. But when you get to know me, I also try and think critically about my role in the society and how I can empower those that don't look like me. And I think that's what the flavor birthday cake does every day at some amazing ice cream establishments oh, around the world. That's a birthday cake. Oh my That's God. crazy. That's I'm blown away right now. <laughs> Mr. O, the birthday cake. Again, yeah. this was a very humbling experience yeah. just Thanks having, for having you here. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And enlightening us and all of our guests. Um, and if you're listening to this, thank you for listening to another episode of Strange Flavors. It's been another week, another flavor, a little less stranger. We'll talk soon. I say, go Daytona, make your whole place. Go be your baby mama, make your whole day. I kiss her nose when she cold, make it go away. On my toes when she show up, make my whole day. We sip that degasty, proudly, and be nasty, nasty. Like underlay, underlay, mommy, E-I-E-I. She just humbly humble me with that V-I-P-I-B. Wondering humbly how I D-I-D-I-T. D-O-D-O-P, emo, you know me. C-mo. Then mostly Geo and solely We know control by your C notes and goes playing Neo She go where they Creole and go